0: so you know what I I walked in here this morning and I thought yes I've got to share with how's this I've never ever been invited to preach in this church that's how bad I am like ever okay KwaZulu Natal I said to I I, I preached in Maritzburg sorry I preached in Maritzburg last night and I said to Croft do you know I've never preached at a KwaZulu Natal equip in my whole life I've only been partnering for 25 years I've only been on the team for like 22 years or whatever, anyway. And uh, you'll see by the end of this exactly why. I only get invited every generation. So what happens is you do enough damage that the people who would remember you have all gone. They've planted, they've moved somewhere, and a new fresh crop arrives. And then to my worst fear, sitting to my left, I've got Peter Rasmussen who has mentored me for I don't know how many years, sitting right over there. I have Henny Cato, who has sorted me out properly for 25 years, sitting right over there. I texted my wife and said, I think I need to leave now. I don't even think I should preach. So Peter said, either if I'd really tank it, if he gets up to leave, then I've tanked it. He said, or if he gets up to take the mic and take over from me, I've tanked it. So are you good for me for a little while? All right. What is this? What what time do we do this till? My times are all messed up. What time is this session till? Like no one's told me. Huh? Does any of you know how long this is? Because how am I supposed to know if you don't even know? What? 11.45. Good. 45 minutes. It's a long time. fascinating eh? TED talks tell us no one concentrates more than 18 to 20 and we get a 45-minute slot all right okay so my name's Greg um, some of you probably don't know me it's cool I don't know you either uh, I lead a church with our eldership team in Johannesburg called New Day right now there's I think 10 guys on the eldership team we've planted churches released churches done what we've done Uh, I I started leading a church as a 24-year-old. I got married, I got engaged at 22, married at 23, uh, felt God speak to me through a pastor preaching about starting a church. And I went to him and I said, I feel like God's put in my heart to start a church. He said, 100%. So I started a home cell at 23, which became a church at 24. And I've now been leading for 28 years. And it's fun. It's exciting. A whole lot has happened in the meantime, good, bad, and ugly. But the Lord is there. It's his house. It's his church. Uh, I was married for 25 years to Hensia. And when she was 45 years old, she contracted um, stage four terminal lung cancer. Uh, we got three boys. And so we journeyed that road uh, for two years until she passed away in my arms. And then you've got to figure out how do you do life leading a church Uh, You don't have a wife you've got three little kids and it was it was absolutely terrible God provided a beautiful lady in our church. Thank God an arranged marriage and uh, and So we actually had our wedding anniversary yesterday. So I was in Maritzburg, She was in Joburg Uh, she assures me like any good wife. She'll make it up to me later and um, I Said thank you very much. It'll be fabulous And so, anyway, so I've been asked to come and share. And the subject am I loud enough? Am I too soft? Am I good? All right. What I've been asked to talk around is, or what I'm going to talk around, is creating momentum and bringing leaders through. It is our privilege. So I want to start off right away. I'm from Johannesburg. I don't get your culture at all. I was born in Port Shepston. I lived there for five years I went to Kimberley I went to Joburg I came back to Durban I went to the greatest school in Durban Which is called Beachwood Boys And I was was at Beachwood uh, For Standard 7, Standard 8, Standard 9 And then in Standard 9 We moved to Johannesburg Uh, Then Beachwood became Northwood But it was still Beachwood And I have been in Johannesburg from 1987 I am a thoroughbred Dutchie now I... uh, I support the Lions, I get Joburg culture, I get the hustle and bustle, I don't get you and I'm sure you don't get me, but there will be lessons to learn, I apologize now for everything I say, so you don't have to come afterwards and tell me, listen, I've got an issue with you, just get over yourself, I'll get over me, my assurance is I leave here tomorrow, is that okay? They've asked me to do a slot tomorrow, I know after this session they're going to can it, so either tomorrow morning or tomorrow afternoon, I give you my assurance I'm leaving Durban. I'm going to Maritzburg, and I'll be back in Durban North, uh, far away from you on, uh, on Sunday night. That's my promise. All right, so a couple of things. I'm going to try and hit you with six points and then we're done. If there's time for questions, let's see how it goes. Point number one in terms of uh, creating momentum and bringing leaders through. Number one is this. There are two truths that you have to hold on to the whole time, which is the truths of the wine And the wine skin. The wine is the life of God. Fellowship with God. Streams of water that flow from within us. Resulting in salvation, healing, deliverance, forgiveness, peace, joy, disciple making, church planting, uh, etc, etc. Wine is what people want. So when you look at the kind of momentum you want to create. When you look at the kind of leaders you want to bring through. You've got to remember your end goal. Your end goal is not to plant a church. Your end goal is to get the life of God to people. Therefore, your structure, the leaders you choose, the decisions you make, all has to have the end in mind of seeing people transformed by the gospel. Is that okay? That's what you go for. So then when you start looking for the kind of leaders you're going to produce, make sure they are aligned with the gospel call to get the word of God and the life of God to people. If there's no evidence of them doing it now, there's very little chance they're going to do it later. So be careful. Have you ever had a pot plant that someone gave you you didn't want and it sits in a corner and you forget about it. Then later you go back to that pot plant and it's dead and shriveled and you take one glass of water, you pour it in, you come back and the thing's alive again. That's what the life of God does. And as a, as a, as a leader team, what do we offer if we don't have life? If we're not offering wine, where are we going? So that's the one truth. The other truth you hold to it, obviously, is the only way to get the wine to people is through a wineskin. The biblical administration of a local church. So your your Ephesians four gifts, your elders, your deacons, and your saints together are trying to worship the Lord with all their hearts. Now you suddenly gotta look at your technical parts of church. Church meetings, ministry times, discipling one another, coming to maturity, evangelism, Bible school teaching, disciple making, are those things in place to achieve getting water to people? You don't just run a meeting, we have a Sunday meeting, I think we have a home cell. we might have a prayer meeting, we might if it's not intentional in terms of your wine skin with what you're trying to produce, you're not gonna get a whole lot of wine to people. So you, you don't lead a church to have ministries. You don't appoint people because we need more ministries. You do it because you want to get the wine to the people. And therefore, your ministries, you need to hold with an open hand and constantly re-look whether the ministries you're doing are achieving the reason you planted the church in the first place. It's good to cull ministries, to look through ministries every now and then. Because if you don't, you're going to have so-and-so who's run that ministry for 20 years, and the day you decide to touch that, you've got a church split because so-and-so has identified themselves so with that ministry, it's become who they are. Not you, not the church, not the wine of God, not anything. There are, and Then you run into all sorts of problems. So just be, be clever about that. What do we have to offer if we don't have the life of God? Which re- means this. The clear implication under point one is that the recognized leadership of a church is expected to provide the environment and the measure of faith for the life of God to get from God to people. It is expected that that's what you do because that's what this is about. That's all point number one. Point number two. Now, in order to get there, you've got some potential leaders in the church you want to start building momentum you want to start bringing leaders through and you've got a whole lot of potential leaders what I'm going to give you now is a cameo of what a lead guy does behind the curtain when the curtains open and you stand in front of everyone and you're leading you're seeing that now what I'm going to show you is behind the curtain when a lead guy's thinking about the kind of people he wants to bring through and how he brings them through what's going on here? What should the thought process and the heart process be about taking all these wonderful potentials and putting them to use? So, point number two is this ask these questions. How are they doing in personal areas of their faith? How's their expectancy? Do the leaders look alive? Do you know how hard it is to go into a church and build faith when the leaders look half dead? When a worship time comes and their arms are folded and they're evaluating, you know what? Pick up your stuff and go and evaluate outside because we want to find the presence of Jesus. If your leaders and your potential leaders aren't even excited about God, even if the song sucks, if they're not excited about God, how are the people gonna get? And then you the ones letting them be. They are setting the pace for the church. And then you sit and allow this. So when you watch your leader group, ask a question, is there a sense of expectancy? Do they act, feel, and look alive? Their personal revelation. Faith comes from hearing. Are they hearing? Are they a people of faith? Some people honestly believe they come onto a leadership team with the express purpose of being the balancing factor. I had one guy come to me and say, I'm going to come onto your leadership team one day, but I just want you to know, I will always side with the sheep. So I said, as opposed to? So he said, the leaders, I side with the sheep. So I said, so you're announcing to me that if I ever put you on leadership, your purpose is to come and cause division. Am I understanding you? So he left. Surprise, surprise. If faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains, then the people in your church need to be faith people. I don't care your gifting, your personality, because faith pleases God. And what you offer Him has to come from a place of personal revelation. God shifting you, God changing you. Do you demonstrate to the church that you are pliable or that you've got it all together? Are you one who's able to minister out of a fullness of a revelation which excites people around you? Or are you just that one person checking everything out? You can have an official position in the church and be doing more harm than good to the people you lead. Not creating momentum at all unless it's your momentum. Number three, is there a measure of faith in stepping out? The Bible says to each one, a measure of faith is given. And faith and momentum means that sometimes leaders simply have to step out in faith. It's the currency of what we do. And change in the life of a church comes through activity, never passivity. You cannot lead a church or be involved in a form of leadership in a church and not have some faith giant in front of you all the time. We're literally called to do the impossible with nothing. Isn't it? It's, the, it, it's what draws the favor of God toward us is when we don't even know how we're supposed to do what we're called to do because we just have to look to Him. And so when we're looking at bringing leaders through, is there a measure of faith in them? Number four, their obedience to the Holy Spirit's prompting and leading. Please remember, before a person is a recognized office in the church, they are always simply a child of God. And as a child of God, how good are they at receiving instruction, correction, Ministry, healing From the Holy Spirit When was the last time the word of God Confronted us with truth That requires immediate adjustment Because God is talking to us If you want to bring leaders through Make sure they're able to listen to the Holy Spirit There are some circles within Christianity Where they really enjoy the ministry of the Holy Spirit I mean we all do But where they so enjoy the ministry of the Holy Spirit, they determine their meetings and their feel as a church by the way they felt when the Holy Spirit came. How did you feel? Oh, I shook around and it was wonderful. And oh, I do not see from scripture that the Holy Spirit comes to allow you a self indulgent moment. The fruit of the Spirit is a fruit. The love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, those things are a fruit, an and evidence of the fact that God is in you. We do not measure ourselves by our enjoyment of the Holy Spirit. We measure ourselves by our obedience to the Holy Spirit. We keep in step with Him. The fruits are all coming afterwards. And so we've got to have leaders who are soft enough to recognize that the Holy Spirit can come inside and do things. Fifth one, quickly, how do they engage prophetic words that are brought? You know, some people are brought into the life of a church occasionally to speak a word into that church that is a word from God, that is a course correction that the church needs. And we as a church, for instance, at New Day, have trusted voices. One of them's there, right there, Petrus Muson. Every year we get him and we get Grant Crawford, they come into our church and they do a literal audit in the life of our church, always assessing who we are, where we are, what's happening in the lives of our church. And when they bring prophetic perspective, as a whole eldership, we work through it over weeks and months. And I'm one of those who does not believe that God is giving a new prophetic word to your church every week. He's not confused. When you plant a seed in the ground, it takes a whole season for that seed to produce the fruit that was required. And sometimes we're messing our people up by telling them every fourth week, God's given us something new because you don't know what you're doing. So how well do you as a team take apostolic inputs and actually give it the measure it deserves and work it through and say, all right, I've heard that. We're gonna stick with it until there's a season change. Because when a word like that comes, are you able to cope with what God brings with the word? And you can have leaders who say, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. Then God says there's going to be a change in the church. They're no longer comfortable, and suddenly your friends are your enemies. We haven't done church like this. I don't know about this. Where's this new thing coming from? Well, God prophesied it back then. He's now simply doing what he said he would do, and you can't make the changes. Number six, I'm not going to hammer this one. Participation in public settings. Man, you want to build momentum, look out for lethargy. Look out for leaders who are tired and jaded. Because they're influencing through their fire or lack of. They're still influencing. Keep an eye on them. Remember, before they're servants of the gospel, they're children of God. And if you've got leaders who are tired, love them enough to bring them aside and say, so if this is a stagecoach, why don't you, instead of running in front, why don't you come over here for a little while? I believe in you, I love you. Just breathe again because we need you in the front again. Have the grace to give people the space they need. Are you okay? All right. Number three, now, I wanna, now, now I've seen something on people's lives and now I wanna bring them through. So I bring them into an environment I just want to finish my cold coffee Now I want to bring people into an environment They sit around me and we're going to start a cycling time now Point number three is great leadership teams have at least the following in common Okay. First thing under point three is they have a genuine love for God. They obey the great commandment. Do you know how attractive someone is who looks like they love the Lord? I've gone to churches where the leader looks like he's not even a Christian. The oak sucks lemons. He doesn't even look saved. You're going meet you with this eldership team. and I'm an elder, I'm a this. No, you're a dried up old prune. Because I want to tell you, do you know what it looks like when you hang around with people who are in love? My 16-year-old, I've got three boys, 18, 16, and 12. My 16-year-old falls radically in love at least once a month <laughs> with somebody. He's having one now. And these long chats. And, uh, I know when Luke's in love. It's that puppy dog, dad, how's my hair looking? He never, ever asks me anything like that. His behavior changes when he's in love. And one of the characteristics when you want to build a leadership team together is, do they actually love the Lord? Do they talk about Him? When you're in a conversation, do they reference Him every now and then? He's like, wow, they're, they're wowed by who the Lord is. And can I say this? The longer you are in ministry, tell the truth, the longer you're in ministry, the more in awe you are of God, because He gets bigger, and I don't know how it works for you, but for me, I realize my weakness, my frailty, I realize... I'm now at a stage, 28 years, I know I'm only 27 years old, but for 28 years, I've led a church, and you know what? I'm more surprised today that God uses me than I was when I started. When I started, God got a good deal. Because I left university, I left studying law because I'm going to see people saved. God, I'm on your side. Now, today, 28 years later, I wake up on a Sunday morning, I still hyperventilate, I still don't sleep well on a Saturday night, I know there's multiple meetings coming and I'm freaking out and they come in their cars, in their droves and I think, oh Lord, why are they here? The Lord gets bigger, I love him more because I need him more. I'm so much more aware. If you're, as your leadership team grows, keep your eyes, you wanna look at momentum, keep your eyes on your team. Make sure they're loving the Lord. They have nothing else. Make sure they're loving Him. And then number two, obviously, a commitment to serving Him. Obeying the Great Commission with time, money, family, health, and priorities. Not everyone needs to be going, but your primary leadership team needs to own the call to the nations with you. They need to own church planting, the releasing of people, and they need to be excited about it. I reckon a brilliant shift, if you've got a church with money, a brilliant shift, if you've got 10 elders, keep seven shepherds and three fire starters. That's my rule of thumb. I've got at least three guys on my team that are there to cause trouble. And seven to put out all the fires. Yes, people need to be shepherded People need to be loved People need to be cared for That's why I got the shepherding guys But you need other guys too Where they keep the big picture in front of us And even if you're not one who goes You need to be fully behind those who go By the way you stay Are you okay? Then number four Now they're excited Now you've seen They've got the stuff Now you pull them together Number four And you, you say to them Alright Not only when you come into this church, onto this team, do you need to be good for me, as a team, you need to be good for each other. There's a relationship between the elders, not just between them and you, between the deacons and elders. When somebody comes on, ask this question, are you good for us? I have twice in our history have people come to me, good guys, both of whom I really wanted to bring onto our eldership team because I recognised the call and the gift of God on both their lives. And both of them met with me privately over time and said, Greg, I love you, I'll serve you, I'll follow you, you'll never have to watch your back when it comes to me, but I just want you to know, if you left and someone else came in, I would never stick around because I could never follow them. And just gently, I said to them, do you realize you're telling me that you wouldn't get behind decisions that the rest of the team makes. Only decisions I make. And on that basis, I can't let you on this team. You won't come onto this eldership team. Because you gotta love them the same as you love me. And for those of you who ever did Dudley's team training or Dudley's training years ago, he always said in church life, when you bring a team together, look out for the S's. Look after the sons. Minister to the sons. Bring the sons close. Tolerate the servants. The servants are there to serve their vision. They're there to serve your vision. They're there to serve, but they'll never give their heart in sonship. They're useful to the church, but you tolerate them. Then the other three, you have nothing to do with. Those who think they are the same as you. Those who think they are superior to you. And those who think they're the successor to you, you never know their motives. And you wanna know the motive of a leader, put him in a group with other leaders and watch their relationships with each other. The team around you is meant to be good for, firstly, friendship. It's the power of love, the power of unity, the power of acceptance, the power of belonging to a great team. You gotta learn to be friends, even if you're different. There's no two elders on my team that are alike, none. Sometimes you go to some guy's church and they're all cookie cuts. They dress the same, they talk the same, they look the same, they whatever the same, not helpful. I went to a church once, it's a huge church, and they were gonna bring a young guy onto leadership, and they asked me to have a look at him. So I go, spend a time with him, have a meal with him and his family. I I felt God said he's definitely the guy. I met with the rest of the eldership team, and I said, okay, my proposal to you as the eldership team, you've invited me in, I believe you need to bring this guy onto your eldership team. Almost all the other elders said, no, we have a problem with this. I said, what? He said, he's not like us. I said, that is precisely why you need him. Because he's not like you You're all a bunch of two-tone farmers All over the age of 40 All conservative And here's a guy And years later This guy brings so much life into that church He has brought hundreds of people into the life of that church He was the right guy And you know what? They're great friends Encouragement Do you know we need to encourage each other when we're not doing well? Encourage each other because you can't do this alone having our friends celebrating our efforts with us telling us We're doing a good job to encourage means to add courage to I Can't imagine going to an elders meeting or a deacons meeting and being scared of that team and thinking I wish I wasn't with them I know guys who lead churches who say the only reason I lead this church is because God called me here I don't have safe friends in my own church. My friends are outside What a tragedy? In our church, those who add the most courage to me who are my best friends are those in the trenches with me fighting this thing with me. Are they friends? Do they encourage? Are they good at perspective? You know, sometimes you're seeing things the same way all the time and you need someone and you need to allow space for people to have a perspective that's different to the one you've got. Where if you, especially if you're a lead guy, you always think you're right. I mean, you've heard God. How wonderful when someone else comes in and says, yeah, I hear you, Greg, but have you thought about? And you look and think, thank you, God. I Remember again, I know in part, I see in part. Thank you so much for that perspective. If I hadn't seen that, we would have made a mistake. Allowing perspective. There's power when the team comes together. And lastly, there's protection. They lift us up when we're down. They correct us when we're wrong. They cover us when we're hurting. The power of team. Will they expose you? Or will they protect you? Will they have your best interests of heart? Or down deep inside, are they angling for what suits them best? It'll always be revealed anyway. Watch when it comes to building a team. Look for those attitudes. Number five, here are some key questions. These are questions that I believe one needs to ask every now and then. So my brother and his business partner co-own these game reserves. And once upon a time, I asked my brother, I said, can I go for a game drive, please, on my own? I just want to see what it's like. He's like, go for it. So I get in on the Land Rover and I go about two hours. It was heaven, two, three hours. And then I realized looking at the time, I want to get back before game drive goes out because that's when like the official people go. I'm not, I'm supposed to be back. So I turn around and suddenly realised I've done lefts and rights and lefts and rights for three hours. I don't know where I am, but it had a map which I'm grateful for. So I put, I pulled the map out and I look and I say, "Okay, there's Dulini. The problem is, where am I? So you know, I had to fold the map up and put it back because it was useless. So all I did was go in circles and circles until eventually, about an hour and a half later, I found a place. Okay, then I went and I got back. My brother says, how was the drive? I said, beautiful, man. I'm not gonna tell him that I didn't know where I was because he'll never let me ever go out again. But I suddenly realized, you can know where you're supposed to be going as a church, but if you don't know where you are, you're never gonna get there. And so I'm gonna close with some some perspectives that I think would be helpful, some questions that you need to ask every now and then. To your team, if you again, we want to look at momentum and building momentum in the life of the church, building the right leaders. First question I'd ask is, What do you bring to this team? I warned our guys, it's that time of the year again, it's coming to November. I'm traveling a bit the next couple of weeks, but I said, When I'm back, remember guys, it's time for these questions again. And we've got 10 elders that come, and we have about six potentials, and we meet every Tuesday morning from six till half past seven. And I said to the guys, you know the questions, they're coming, so be ready. Question number one is, what do you bring to the team and to the church? In other words, your gift mix, your spiritual gifts, your talents, your abilities, do you know what they are? It's good for us to celebrate you when you know what you carry. That thing you bring to the church. Your office, the responsibility around your primary function. Do you bring a sense of gravitas of your office to the church? Or are you that guy that you go on a three-week holiday and no one knew you were missing? Or when you're gone, do you leave a hole? Like We have five of us in the family. If any one of us are gone, the house is empty. Even though there's four there, only one gone, the house is always that much emptier. And when, the, when whoever it is comes back, I've got boys now, they just want to be out cruising. When they come back, it's just so lacquer to have the boys back. Does your office carry the gravitas that the people feel the weight of your presence? Are you glue? Do you still have passion? Do you still set an example? Are you good for those under your care? Are you mingling with people? Are you bringing people together? That's all number one. Number two, ask them this. What are you trying to achieve? Over the next six months, what have you got faithful? What has God spoken to you about being on this team? Under that, some sub points. How clearly do you understand your role and your responsibilities? I mean, we want to meet expectations. We don't want to disappoint people. How do you measure your success? How do you measure your fruitfulness of your leaders and of yourself? There need to be some kind of measurables. So how do you understand your role and your responsibilities? Ah, I didn't know that's part of my job description. Well, it is. Help them through it. Next question I'd ask under that. Is do you have a handle on what the Lord is saying to the church? Through apostolic voices that have come in, prophetic voices that come in, through the words that come in, through the prayer meetings, through the preaching on a Sunday, there's usually enough of a thread to promote unity in the church. Unity is when the leaders are agreed and going in the same direction. When you've got one or two leaders pulling in other directions, you'll never have momentum. If you're second-guessing each other all the time, you're never going to have momentum. Ask them, are you still on board with what we feel God is telling us? I know of a team right now, they're not partnering with us at the moment, but they, they got someone on the team in a very key leadership position who has a different take on certain things and the rest of his team are not seeing it. And it's starting to cause ruptures because you know what people talk and you know what some people think that what you whisper in secret will never get out there It does And I'm concerned for where that's going to go because how can any two walk together unless they are agreed and I'm telling you now they're not agreed I don't know where it goes, but I'll tell you what suffers first momentum when you've got a stagecoach full of horses and they're pulling in different directions, this thing doesn't know where to go. Ask them, are you aligned? And then back to a simple one under number three, are you experiencing God talking into your spirit? Friends, here's the reality. Leaders are meant to be part of the solution, not the problem. Your end, your demise, your mess up comes from when you're living in a place where you're not letting the Lord speak faith into you anymore. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of Him who sent me. Our nourishment, do we mess it up? Yes. Will we all mess it up? Yes. But you don't live there. You go back to God and say, Lord, here I am. And I want to tell you the, the, the answer, the solution is to ask God to speak into your spirit again and again and again because that is the place where faith comes from and it's where your affirmation comes from. Make sure the people you want to bring through regularly hear the Lord. I've learned, look how they worship. Look how they talk. Look at the subject matter they come up with. Look at the decisions they make. Look at the influence they have. Look at the people they spend time with. You start to get a good picture of where they're at. I think this is my last point. Let's see. Second last, you're lucky. Live aware of yourself. Number six, live aware of yourself. Leaders shape the church for good or for bad. How do you, don't answer, just think about it. How do you sustain your relationship with God in leadership without succumbing to disappointment, disillusionment, or cynicism? I was preaching in Zim last week, and we had a, in Harare, there were like 100 leaders or so, and I I opened up for question time, and one guy said to me, Greg, what's your most difficult part of leading a church? What is the hardest thing for you? What do you struggle with the most in leading a church? I said, for me, it's having people in the church who have access to the transforming power of God, but they don't take it. They have the same gospel, the same Holy Spirit, the same Bible, same leadership team, same church. But like a Judas, they make all the wrong decisions. It hurts. And you know what? You can never join the club by manipulating people into change. Because anyone you feel you have to change, you have to keep changed. Anyone you fight to get to church, you have to fight to keep in church. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so my point under that is how, when you get constant disappointments, and listen, when you lead a church, you get the idea, right? Not everyone's with you. Not everyone makes it across the finish line. Not everyone does well. The longer you are in ministry, the more jaded you can become because the more hits you take. A starry-eyed two-year church planter and someone who's been in the ranks for 40 years are two completely different people. How are they sustaining their own walk with God? Is He still most precious to them? I remember two friends of mine having a conversation, got big churches. The one was telling the other one, man, it's tired, I'm this, and I'm doing that. And after a while, the one said to the other one, just got one question for you, but yeah, does Jesus still take your breath away? And you had to realize that in leading a church, if God adds and God is growing the church, at what point do you remember, I'm a Mary and not a Martha? Are you able to sustain the privilege of serving God and leaving the results and the disappointments and the mess ups, are you you okay to leave them with the Lord? Because if you don't leave them with the Lord, they're going to get in your soul and they're going to corrupt you. Isn't it interesting that Jesus said to Peter, upon you I build my church, but by the way, you need to learn to forgive 70 times seven a day. When you're a church leader, you open yourself to hits every day, all day. And so Jesus said to him, do I forgive seven? No, 70 times seven per day, that's a lot. You're gonna have to live in an attitude of forgiveness. You're gonna have to live to let it go. If not, it eats you. That which sustains you is the personal presence of God. Do you know how to do that? How do you handle demands on your time? How are you continuing to grow as a Christian? There's only two ways you grow. The one is through knowledge, walking with God, personal revelation. The other way you grow is through opposition. I'm sure there's some buff gym guys here. If you take some of your shirts off, I'm telling you the way you got that buff body of yours is through resistance training. It's the only way. It's, um, and God allows trials. God allows opposition. God allows these things because these things grow us. Do we like it? No. Do we want it? No. But if you're saying, God, I want to keep growing in my relationship with you, that the trials are going to come. The, 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 the uh, opposition is going to come. And you've got to learn to walk through it and welcome it and say, thank you, Lord, you're still with me. Are you are you Okay. Alright, let me just leave all of that Last point These are leadership questions I like to do with my team twice a year Beginning of the year And then near the end of the year These are some questions I'll ask every year Because this helps orient us Because Dudley always said Everything rises and falls on leadership First question I've got four questions to you, then three questions to the church. Question number one to you, I ask every time. What is God saying to you personally? Take your leadership hat off, take your parent hat off, take your spouse hat off. What is God saying to you personally as a child? What is the word of the Lord to you in your personal capacity that you are treasuring at the moment? The psalmist writes, how wonderful, how plentiful are your thoughts toward me. I don't know about you, but there's nothing better than the Lord every now and then speaking to me personally from his word that affirms my identity as his child. Because the day will come I don't need new day anymore. I've already had it once. I'm sure I'll have it again. The day comes where you're no longer married. The day comes your children have left home. The day comes you're not identified as the guy who did that. Not your doing, but your being. Does that thing still sustain you? Number one. Number two, what is he saying to you now for others? What is the prophetic word he's giving you for the church you're in? The friends you have. Regardless of if you're an elder, a deacon in the life of the church, when you look out over that church, Is the Lord perhaps speaking to you? The Bible says pray for one another daily. Are we praying for? Are we getting word for? I love that uh, so many times a week, I'll just get a word or a picture from God for someone. And when he tells me to, I'll just send them a text and say, hey, but I was praying for you. This is what I felt God said. The encouragement that comes when people know that we are carrying them and we're carrying the word of the Lord for them. We're all an apostolic prophetic people. Paul says, I wish you could all prophesy. He wants us all to edify, encourage, and exhort each other. It doesn't matter if you're the car park attendant, the children's church leader, the home group leader. It doesn't matter what you are. You still carry the word of the Lord. When was the last time God just gave you word for people that just encouraged them? Number three, what is he wanting you to do now? Are you still supposed to be doing the ministry you do, or is there a bit of a shift Must you alter the ministry you're in right now? Is God asking you to put your hand to something else in the church? I know in my first five years, so I got saved at the age of 18. I was studying law at university. God saves me, calls me out radically. I get filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says to me from Genesis chapter 12, leave your father's house, your family, your land. Leave everything you know. And then he says, and I will take you to a place I will still show you. A clear word from God I spoke to my family I finished my year I got my credits in case I'd made a mistake and then I went to a year of your life at our church I went to the army I then went and worked for three years and then at the age of 23 God gives me this word to go and plant a church right from the time he gave me the first word which was Genesis 12 till the time he gave me the very next word which was directional for my life was five years In those five years, he never, ever gave me a directional church, a word for what to do with my life. But he kept saying little things like, now join the sound team. Now join the evangelism team. I spent six months putting cables out for the band. And then after, because we're in a school hall. And then after the meeting, those little prima donnas are walking around over there while I'm packing their sound away. So I set their sound, now listen here, yeah? I set their sound up, I pack their sound away, and these little prima donnas walk on stage, hee hee hee, and they go off again. And the one time, <clears throat> I went to one of them, and I said, I've got a question for you. Remember, I only saved two years. three years. I've got a question for you. Why don't you help me just put those cables in place? I don't want to disturb the anointing. We're there to minister, you know, talk rubbish. All they did was go outside and drink coffee while we served. You know what's happening? Every little six months or so, God changed things for me because he was showing me what it would be like one day when I lead a church before he told me I'd ever lead a church. So from counseling team to evangelism team to sound to ushers to everything you can think of except for children's church God had me doing and he said there you never graduate from a new season. So what season could you be going into now? What is in terms of your long game What is God wanting you to adjust? He never leaves anyone just as they are. If you've got a problem with that, let me help you quickly. We all know John 3.16. It is the foundation of how the world gets saved. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son that ever believes in Him. And so we know John 3.16 is the cross. Have you ever thought about John 3.8? Which is before 16. And John 3.8 says, As the wind blows, you hear its sound. You don't know where it comes from and you don't know where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. The first thing you learn, when God begins to move by the Spirit, you hear the sound. You listen for sound. You listen for change. But one thing you know, you won't know where it comes from and you won't know where it goes because you're not in charge, God is. And that life of a person sets you up for the power of the message of the cross that we give to the world. So I'm telling you, you will go through seasons we're in your long game. What's God saying to you? Number four, what is he wanting you to hold on to in your life at this point? Because for some of us, we're growing through straining in an area of ministry and you're saying, oh God, just move me out. Get me out of this, Lord. I want the new season. I want the long game because I'm struggling with where I am. Sometimes God's saying, actually your school isn't finished where you are right now. So because of that, I want you to hold on for that bit longer. And you hold on because he said so and then last three and they're done i'm on 41 minutes i don't know about these looks at the back but i'm on 41 minutes because i probably started late here are three questions you ask the church you ready number one what do we as a team need to be holding on to in this season in terms of seeking the heart and face of god Do we understand that our church exists for those who are not yet in us? Do the wider community even know that your church exists? Is every ministry set at trying to fix the already saved? Or is there enough areas of ministry in your life to look out for people who are unsaved? Do we actually count in the wider perspective? Looking out for the health of our church, are the riverbanks still sharp? Are they still deep? Is there debris in place? If the Bible says that the streams of living water are supposed to be flowing from us, if there's no streams, it doesn't mean there's no spirit. It sometimes just means there's blockages. God, show us. Do something and reveal to us what's really going on here. He knows. He will. Keep your finger on the pulse of asking, what do I need to be holding in front of me this season? Number two, Not only am I going for it, and Lord, what are you saying to us? What are the signs of grace that we are observing in the church right now that we can celebrate? Because even if you think your church isn't great, I'm telling you now, you're doing good things. Because God's there. What are those good things? Do we celebrate it? Do we talk about it? Do we honor the good that He is doing? Are we always seeing what we need to change and not celebrating the good things? Are we encouraging and giving hope to people out of the good things that they are doing? You know often your strength is your weakness, hey? You know that. My strength is I don't need your encouragement. Are oh, you right? If, if Ask Kurt, who's been in our church, if you want to irritate me on a Sunday, clap or say amen when I'm preaching. Because now I've got to stop for you to stop your noise so I can carry on. And ask him. I tell our guys, they start clapping. Stop it, sh- I'm busy. I don't need your encouragement. I don't need a text. Hey, well done. I, it does nothing. Before God, it does nothing for me. Okay, I don't need it. it irritates me. But I don't give it to anyone. Because my strength is my weakness. So I don't encourage. Vanessa said to me, you know, we've been married now for a few years. Do you know you've told me three times I look nice? I'm going to make up a fourth before the end of this year. <laughs> you know, I realize I don't encourage. I don't get up and say, hey, well done, you look beautiful, whatever. I mean, you know. I'm not that parent who says to the kid every day, you're so, so but you're success, you're total success, and they're absolute rubbish. I'm not that person. But I have to remind myself, that's why once a year, like you do, we have a celebration where you, you celebrate your leaders. You know that, that thing? I always think, what am I gonna say? Ours is now in November. We, we've hired the barnyard. I've got 270 leaders, uh, serving team leaders, coming to a thing at the barnyard. I'm already stressing, what am I gonna say? Because I always get up and say, guys, it's been a great year. Thanks. And I sit down. They're like, is that it? Yeah. Look for the signs of grace. Let the guys tell you and celebrate it. Number three, last one. Got to ask this question all the time. Which leaders or which people does the Lord have his hand on now? Who should we be investing in? Who do we spend a bit of time with? Who doesn't have to jump through a 100 hoops of church membership to come and serve us. Are there any of David's raiding bands that he's about to give us? Always been looking for the next leaders, regardless of age, the next crop of leaders that God wants to be bringing through. Ask as a team. 45 minutes on the dot and I'm done. Thank you for listening. I just said, Now, I don't know what we do now. Does someone take the microphone, stand? Do I say goodbye? Can I leave? Can I leave? Can I leave Durban now, but what do I do?